All right, let's go ahead and open in our Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Romans chapter 5. Easter is coming up real quickly here. Who are you going to invite? Easter Sunday is a great time to invite people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, For some great reason, people will come to church on Easter who will not come at any other time. You know, Christmas and Easter, those are two great opportunities. So invite your friends to come Easter morning and hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Hopefully, as we've been studying the resurrection these last few weeks, it's sort of building your confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and and, and your excitement about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And hopefully you're really looking forward to communicating that truth with your friends. Again, uh, the first week in this series, we, we talked about the primacy and the proof of Christ's resurrection. We talked about the fact that the empty tomb and the eyewitness accounts in every changed lives are, are strong evidence for Christ rising from the dead, that we would uh, purport that it is Indeed, historical, evidential, and defensible that Jesus rose literally, physically, and in glory. And therefore, importantly, listen, Christian, therefore, everything that he ever claimed about his identity, about his work, about eternity, about you, and about God is absolutely true. Every other competing truth claim is laid to rest at the literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No one else in all of history has ever predicted and pulled off their own resurrection. Therefore, Christ's words beyond anyone else in history have absolute validity. And that's reason to rejoice. That's reason to be comforted. That's reason to be confident in our salvation. And then the following week, just last week, we talked about the doctrinal substance of Christ's resurrection. We talked about how his resurrection is the ratification of his declaration of tetelestai, paid in full. The debt for our sins has once and for all been paid in full. We talked about the fact that his resurrection from the dead gives us assurance because our Redeemer lives and he ever lives to make intercession for us before the Father, bearing the wounds of the payment for our sins. And we talked about the doctrine of glorification, that because Christ is risen from the dead, when he comes again, those who have died in Christ, we who have put our faith in Christ, will also rise from the dead, literally, physically, and in glory as Christ did. And when Christ comes again, we who are alive and remain shall be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, at the shout of Michael the archangel, when the Lord comes, if we're still alive, bam, in glory instantly, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. These things bring us great comfort, assurance, confidence, and tremendous hope in dark days. Does anybody know dark days? These things, these truths, these doctrines, which are dependent upon the literal, physical resurrection of Christ in glory, bring us great hope and joy and perseverance in dark days. Today, now, we talk about the present and practical implications of Christ's resurrection, or why do I care for my difficult life right now? Look at this. It is not just that 
the resurrection is a fact of history. And so we have the forgiveness of the penalty of sins. Or that it is a future event in which we will finally be free from the presence of sin. It is also a present reality in our lives that allows us to walk in victory over the power of sin. Not just a past historical happening, not just a future hope, but a present powerful reality for the things that we face and struggle with today. Because you understand, if the resurrection of Christ was merely a historic event, then we may find ourselves living in passive resignation. Passive resignation of the fact that though we are forgiven, we still just struggle under the power of sin. If it's merely a past fact, we could fall into passive resignation. Yes, I'm forgiven, but I don't really have any hope for a better life, for victory over this addiction, for victory over this heartbreak, for getting free from this bitterness, for getting free from this sin and this behavior. On the other hand, if the resurrection of the believer, future glory, was merely, is merely a future event, then we may fall into an escapist sort of mindset brought on by the fact that once again, though we struggle under the power of sin, we will one day be a new creation. But all we can do now is just sort of hold on under the barrage of sin and the power of sin and and the things that get us so easily beset us and get us off track. But you see, the good news today is that the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the believer actually meet now. There is a present reality, a powerful reality. It is not just that Christ is risen. It is not just that we will one day be risen. It is that we are right now resurrected with Christ. And that has profound implications for our life. Lord, as I teach and preach, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. Holy Spirit, that you would so powerfully impress these glorious truths upon us that we would truly be men and women who are transformed in the way that we live for the glory of God. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to walk in obedience. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So help us with these things, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. Teach us these truths and change our lives with them. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now with that in mind, look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, very famous verse here. He says, I want to know Christ and experience experience the mighty power of his resurrection. I want to suffer with him. Okay, Paul knew that part of the Christian life was suffering. Not meaning suffering with him as Christ suffered for the atonement of our sins, but suffering in the struggle against sin, which is part of all of our experience and part of the missional experience. I want to suffer with him. Sharing in his death, identifying with the cross, and the destruction of the flesh at the cross. So that one way or another, both in this life and in the life to come, 
I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Notice what Paul says. He has an expectation. Leave that verse up there. He has an expectation of a current experience of Christ's resurrection. He's not merely looking forward to future glory. He fully expects Christ's resurrection from the dead to affect his life now. I want to know Christ and I want to experience the mighty power of his resurrection. Now, where Paul starts with that is profound. He says, I want to start by knowing Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to have doctrinal truth. It's not enough to regularly attend church. It's not enough to serve. It's not enough to give. That's not the call upon the Christian. The call upon the Christian is to know Jesus. We have been reconciled to God through Christ that we might have a meaningful, intimate relationship with God through Christ. Christ is alive that we might know him. That is part of the profundity of the resurrection of Christ. It's not that we have a savior who died and that's the end of the story. We have a savior who lives and so lives to have relationship with us. God loves you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Right? God loves you. He created you. He's redeemed you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He chose your hair color, your eye color. He gave you that imprint on your thumb that is only yours and nobody else in all of creation has it. God gave you that. God knows what your thumbprint is. You're precious to him. I just had a baby girl, Theodora Sunshine. And she's precious to me. She's fat and chubby and cheeky and beautiful in every way. There's something about a kid, right? Those of you who have had kids, you know. Those of you that haven't, you don't. There's something about having a kid that is this pure, unadulterated love. I'm talking about preteen years now. <laughs> when they're newborns, it is this pure, unadulterated, passionate love. They've not done anything to deserve it. They've actually caused caused quite a bit of pain thus far for the woman. But there is this, you hold this thing and you love it with the most pure, beautiful love. I think that moment is perhaps as close as we'll ever get. Analogous, in an analogous fashion to God's love for you. It's so pure and powerful, and unadulterated, not dependent upon anything that you might do. You're a newborn. You've not done anything. Not, not, not failing because of everything that you did do. His love is greater than your failures. He loves you with this radical, glorious, powerful, beautiful love. And so he wants you to know him how I want baby Theodora to know me. I make sure I talk to her frequently so she gets used to my voice. I did when she was in the womb. I rub my face on hers so she knows how daddy's skin feels. I'm already telling her about my life. I've been 
turkey hunting this week with my bow and arrow, and I've been telling her about turkey hunting, telling her how someday I'm going to take her hunting and fishing and shooting and all those fun things. I, I want her to know me. Right? I, I, from the, I want her to know me as her father. Your heavenly father wants you to know him through Christ. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And so in knowing Christ, we know the father. Christ said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. The wonderful invitation in Christianity is come and know your father who created you and loves you. That's where it begins. That's where experiencing the resurrection in the present begins is when you follow hard after Christ to know him, not passive religion, but intimate, active, loving relationship. Notice then that Paul says, I want to experience the mighty power of his resurrection. There is in the present power in the resurrection of Christ for you and I. It is the power for transformation. It's the power for sanctification. It's the power to walk in victory over sin. It's the power for a different sort of life. It is the power that enables us in this world to be the living among the dead. And Paul is saying in this verse, I want to live in such a way as I appear, as though I appear as one who has already been resurrected in this dark world. I want to live for Christ in obedience and in intimacy in such a way that I appear as one who has already has new life. Because that's what we have in Christ now is new life. New life. The resurrection is new life. New life. But according to scripture, new life is always preceded by death. Christ rose from the dead. Why? Because he died. Where did he die? At the cross. New life for Christ was preceded by the cross, death. New life for the believer, the new life we've been given in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is preceded by a certain kind of death, death to self, death to the flesh, Death to everything that is contrary to God. So, we're building on this now. For us to experience the mighty power of Christ's resurrection, there are two things that are necessary. Number one is a continual experience of the cross. In other words, an ongoing denial of self, right? Jesus said, you want to come after me? Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. A death to self, a death to sin continually is a prerequisite for new life, experiencing the new life that we have in Christ's resurrection. But the other thing that is absolutely necessary is the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. We'll read in Romans chapter 8 in a few minutes that it is the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. By the power of the Spirit, Christ was raised from the dead. That is the same power that is at work in the believer. And so as Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit, we walk in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's try to pull this out of the book of Romans as it's there. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5, just verses 1 and 2 to kind of get the context of what we're looking at. And then we'll skip around a little bit. Just follow me here. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. 
Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, justified, that's made right in God's sight, justified by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Not because of anything we've done, what he did for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, okay? A standing of grace before God. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So there we have that past application of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our justification being made right in God's sight through Christ. And we have that future hope of glorification that we joyfully and confidently look forward to. Okay, now verse 12, Paul begins to explain this a little bit by talking about Adam and original sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned, right? We're all guilty of both original sin and practical sin, original and personal. So then, verse 17, he picks it up. We're skipping around here. Verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death, death, death comes from sin, death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship, justification with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Christ, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Those who put their faith in Christ. Verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Uh Uh-oh. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. Here's where it gets interesting. So just as sin, verse 21, ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, well then, six one, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Stop right there. That's a valid question. That's a logical outflow. If the law was given to show that we are sinners and if the law always and only shows us and proves us to be bad... And the more that we are bad and realize that we're bad, the more grace is poured out, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And if God is glorified by the giving of grace through Jesus Christ, why not just continue to sin that grace may continue to abound? Perfect question. And that is the way that many Christians live. Valid question. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Because who doesn't want more and more wonderful grace? Now, there's lots of ways to answer that question. 
The, Paul, the way that Paul is going to answer it right here has everything to do with the resurrection and is incredibly important. It's going to talk about our union with Christ, our identification with Christ. The reason that the answer is in the negative, that we should not keep on sinning, is because we have been united with Christ through faith so that what is true about Christ becomes true about the believer, our union with Christ. So in that Christ died on the cross, we also died on the cross through identification with him. And as Christ rose to new life, we are also raised to new life through our identification with him, not ethereally, not theoretically, really and truly in the economy and by the power of God. So should we keep on sinning since grace abounds? The answer is no, because of our union with Christ. Verse 2, Paul will explain. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? What does he mean by that? He'll explain. It's Paul. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus, okay, identify with Christ through faith, our union with Christ through faith, that when we are joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, being the symbol of the work of the cross and resurrection, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ. It's true about Christ, it's true about the believer with regards to salvation. We died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The answer to why we don't continue to sin, even though grace is abundant, is because we have new life. And there is a part of us, the part that was ruled by sin and a slave to sin that has truly died at the cross with Christ. Second Corinthians five, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The old man died with Christ upon the cross represented in baptism. We'll have a baptism in a few weeks. This is why it's so important to be baptized. It is showing the world what has truly been accomplished for you and in you by Christ when you put your faith in him. When we go down into the waters, it is symbolic of going down into the grave. That, that old man, that sinful nature, going down into the grave with Christ. And when we are raised up, And we are raised up by the power of another, right? Because when we baptize you in the ocean here, we lay you down on your back and we let the wave wash over you and you can't get up and you're saying, I hope they bring me up. And good pastors that we are, we bring you up. (laughs) You're raised by the power of another, symbolic of Christ being raised by both the glorious power of the Father and the power of the Holy Ghost. And in that we are saying, I am united with and I identify with the personal work of Christ on my behalf who died, but who raised, who was put in the grave, but who rose to new life. So as Christ died, we died with him. 
symbolized in baptism. So that as he lives, being raised by the glorious power of the Father, we too may have new life. We don't just go on sinning even though there's unending grace because everything has changed. We really and truly, as Christ rose from the dead, have new life. Now it continues here in verse 5. Since we have been united with Christ in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was, both future glorification and present. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, that's what happened when you put your faith in him, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. One of the fruits of our union with Christ is certainty. Since all that is true of Jesus is true of us, other than, of course, his deity, And since he rose to new life, which is true, we know that we have new life. As certain as Christ is risen and living, we have new life. And that life in the present points toward that hope of the future. We're to live in a way now as if we were already risen in glory. That's what Paul was saying back in Philippians. I want to experience the mighty power of his resurrection so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection in this life and the life to come. In fact, he says, I've so been changed by Jesus, I'm going to live now as if I was already in glory then. And the thing about being in glory then is we will not sin anymore. And so we have new life now in which we are literally, truly enabled through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, through the death of the sinful nature and the new life of God in us to live in a different way. If we know that we are united with Christ, then we know we are living a new life We're no longer under sin's dominance. And so that question in verse one is settled for us. We don't ask it anymore. Now we ask it all the time, don't we? When we're on the precipice of sin, don't we? The moment before we say it, the moment before we touch it, the moment before we take it, the moment before we think it, the moment before we click it, we think this is wrong but grace abounds. And in that, we're answering the question incorrectly. The answer is, we do not do that thing anymore because we are identified with Christ and have new life. Tim Keller helps explain it. Here's a quote. A Christian's old self is gone completely. 
the old ego, the old self-understanding, the old stance of the whole person toward God and the world, all that is gone. It has died. I died. And anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Right? Pause right there for one second. Leave that up there. If you're dead, something has no power over you anymore. That, that's what he's saying. Like, I currently have this weakness for ice cream and pizza. <laughs> ice cream and pizza, I'm a sucker for. Mitten chip ice cream, any kind of pizza, as long as there's ranch dressing on it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm a sucker for it, right? I see it. I, it's really hard for me not to eat it, so I avoid it the best I can. When I'm dead, when this body dies, you could put the, uh, you, the biggest bowl of ice cream next to me and the freshest, hottest pizza with the biggest thing of ranch dressing, and I just don't even care. I'm dead. It has no power over me. It literally has no power over me anymore. I don't care about pizza and ice cream. I'm dead. That's what he's saying here. In a very real way, the old us and that old sin nature have died with Christ. So sin doesn't have the same power anymore. You get this? So we pick it up in the middle. As a Christian, I, my truest self, as a Christian, I, the new I, my truest self, really seeks God and loves his law and holiness, right? That is not the case when it was the old us. We didn't seek God. We didn't love his law because it showed us to be guilty. And we didn't love his holiness because it proved us to be condemned. But now that the old man has died and we've been raised to new life, we truly as Christians do seek God and love his law, his truth, and his holiness. Now here's, here's what's helpful. While sin remains in me with a lot of strength, okay, that's, that's the present reality of this world. There's a day coming when that won't be true anymore. Doctrine of glorification. That was last week. While sin remains in me with a lot of strength, Romans chapter 7 talks about that, it no longer controls my personality and life. It's still able to lead me to disobey God. Does that, doesn't it? But now... Sinful behavior goes against my deepest self-understanding. Where sin abound, grace abound. Shouldn't we just sin then that grace could abound more? No, that's not who you are anymore. You're not looking to live a life of getting away with sin anymore. You have new life. You're looking to live a life where you know Christ his truth, his law, his holiness, his glory, and the deepest, truest part of who you are is this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith unto him. Everything has changed. Verse 10 continues. When he died, Christ, he died once to break the power of sin. Now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Here it is. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Very simply, this verse is calling the Christian to reckon, to consider true about themselves what God considers to be true about you. Do you get how important that is? You know what, it's a travesty when we hold against ourselves 
sins that Christ is not holding against us because we've confessed and we've repented and he's forgiven us, but we still hold it against ourselves. Does anyone do this or is it just me? We beat ourselves up over this thing, but, but Christ bled for it and we've been forgiven for it. And it's just so disingenuous and, 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 and theologically errant and just unfair to hold against ourselves what God has forgiven us in Christ, what's been paid for by his precious blood when we confess and repent. We have to at some point choose in those moments where we're struggling with guilt and condemnation to believe to be true about ourselves in Christ what God says is true about us in Christ. That we are forgiven, washed, clean, made brand new. The beloved of God, a standing in grace, accepted by God through Christ. In the same way, when it comes to being dead to sin and alive to God, living for the glory of God, we have to consider to be true about ourselves, what God considers to be true about us in Christ, that in some real way, we died to sin. It doesn't have the same power anymore. And we are alive to God. And that's a different power altogether. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You can still be a slave experientially. That's where a lot of us are at. We're saying, yes, I get these doctrinal truths, but I'm really struggling with sin. But I, I'm with you on that. Even when you're no longer a slave legally, right? To be justified is to be legally declared innocent and righteous before God. But whatever you may feel, and that's where it gets muddy, right? Whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here in his word, pause right there, which is greater than your feelings and truer than your experience. God tells us here through his word, that if we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do, it is simply because I do not realize who I am. Realize it. Reckon it. Believe to be true about yourself what God says is true about you in Christ. That the old man, the old woman has died and you have been risen to new life in Christ. You have a brand new identity as a beloved of God. Saint, restored, redeemed. Verse 12 picks it up and tells us what to do then. Okay, this takes a little bit of Holy Spirit unction and a little bit of umption on our part. It says in verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Okay? Listen to that word. Do not let. This is an active thing. We're involved in this. There's still some revolve. It's according to the doctrinal truth of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, but you got to choose. No, I'm not going to let sin dictate how I live anymore. And I can make that choice because I died to its power and I have new life and I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So do not let. It's that amazing thing that they used to tell us, just say no. (laughs) Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. That's what we do, huh? We give in, we say, I just can't take it anymore. Do not give in. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. 
So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Because sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Tim Keller once again says this. When a non-Christian sins, they are acting in accord with their identity, with who they are. Why wouldn't they sin? But when someone is united to Christ, everything changes because who they are changes. There's a new me. When a Christian sins, they're acting against their identity. Why would they sin? Therefore, if I sin, it's because I do not realize who I am. I have forgotten what has been done for me in Christ. And the cross and the resurrection. Reality of walking in newness of life. Now, sometimes what it takes to live the resurrected life, this Romans 6 life, sometimes what it takes to walk in the newness of life and in who we are in Christ is to remember and to apply what happened at the cross, the crucified life. This is important for the Christian. Remember, before resurrection, before new life comes, death. That is the way things go. Happen with the cross and the resurrection. It will happen when we die and we're raised in glory. And it happens daily when we struggle with sin. Sometimes what it takes to walk in victory is to go back to the cross and reckon ourselves dead again. Paul in Galatians says it this way. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. You know what I end up doing in my own life all the time? Is going back to the cross. Going back to the cross and remembering two things. That Christ who loves me died there in my place. And that I myself died there with Christ. And that helps me. That helps me to navigate life when my ego is inflated. When my sense of entitlement is exaggerated. When my fleshly desires seem to be raging within me when bitterness grabs a hold of me, when I'm demanding justice, when I'm holding over other people's heads these things, I go back to the cross where Christ died, who loved me in my place, and where I died with him because he loved me. And it helps me to make the right choice to reckon myself as dead there with Christ and then to turn the corner and walk in newness of life. Wherever there is the possibility of walking in resurrection power, there is first the opportunity of returning to the cross. That's the way it goes. You're having trouble walking in resurrection power? Return again to the cross. Because again, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, okay, here's what following me looks like, you must deny yourself, 
take up your cross and follow me. But we don't only need to experience the cross and the resurrected life, returning to the cross, walking in newness of life. To do that, we also need a power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. We'll just read a few verses and be done. He goes in from 6 to 7, identifying with his struggle. He says this in chapter 7. He says, I know the right thing to do, and I want to do it, and I end up not doing it over and over again. Even though I have new life, I find myself doing the wrong thing too often. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. And then he goes into Romans chapter 8 and says this. So now, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? The cross happened, Telestai paid in full. And because you belong to him, through faith, union with Christ, identifying with Christ, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer here's our life, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and death peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God and never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not, listen Christian, listen, you are not controlled by your sinful nature is what verse 9 says. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And if you're a Christian, you do. Remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So if you have the spirit of God, if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God living in you. If so, you're no longer dominated by sin. Verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God, justified. Verse 11, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, You put to death, this is daily activity. If through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. That's wonderful news. 
This resurrection of Jesus Christ is wonderful, world-changing, life-transforming news. We must begin to reckon for ourselves what God has accomplished for us through Christ. Paul knew that that was a struggle. And so he prayed for the church in Ephesus this. This. That. No, I didn't highlight it. My bad. My bad. I'll read it to you. Ephesians 1. My bad. Sin. Ephesians 1. He prayed this for them. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Paul said the application of this thing is a matter of prayer. I pray that you would realize God's power for you to walk in newness of life, the resurrected life, victory over sin. So a couple little thoughts of application now. In seeking to live the resurrected life, you might ask this question of yourself. Where do I need to deny myself and crucify the desires of my flesh? Where do I need to deny myself? Where is the old self demanding something that is inconsistent with Christ and the new self? Where do I need to deny myself? Say no to the ice cream, no to the pizza, no to the bigger things. And crucify Reckon dead and let remain dead the desires of the flesh. Colossians 3 says this. So put to death, okay? Daily activity for the Christian. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Isn't that good language? Listen, when we're in glory, they won't be lurking in us anymore. Isn't that good news? But for now, they're lurking in us. So put them to death. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. So, so maybe what needs to be crucified is this, this driving lust within you. You gotta return to the cross once again and, and really begin to believe. It's a matter of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Really begin to believe and to reckon for your life what Christ did with that at the cross. He defeated, he broke the power of it. Maybe it's tax season now. Right, maybe you're, you're looking at cheating on your taxes and this is, a, this is a greed thing. You need to go back to the cross. You need to go back to the cross and realize that that sense of entitlement was dealt with, nailed to the cross with Christ so that you could walk in newness of life where you're not ruled now by a sense of entitlement, by greed, by lust. The next question we might ask ourselves in application is, where do I need help from the Holy Spirit right now? That's important today. What is your struggle right now? Where do I need help from the Holy Spirit right now? He is present to help you today. Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Where do you need help from the Holy Spirit today? 
will ask for. And last, do you, do I, do we need to change our intakes and our influences? Our intakes and our influences. Our media consumption, what we look at, the TV shows that we spend time with, the magazines that we read, the friends that we spend time with. Is me walking in newness of life a matter of adjusting my intakes and influences? Jesus was for this when he said in a hyperbolic way, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. He was saying, do what it takes. If you've got to get rid of your cable, get rid of your cable. If you've got to not go to that establishment anymore, don't go to that establishment. If you've got to not be with those friends at this time, don't be with those friends at this time. If you've got to unplug the internet, unplug the internet. Do you need to change your intake and influences? Look what Colossians 3 says about that. Therefore, if or since in the Greek, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking, daily thing, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. If you find yourself continually in that Romans 7, 7 struggle, and you find that, the, that that sin that is lurking in you, it seems to be so powerful at this time, maybe it's an issue of intake and influence. Maybe it's less of that show and more of the Bible. Maybe it's less of this group and it's more of that group. Maybe it's less of that and it's more of this. I find that when I have a more steady, robust intake of the word of God, prayer, and seeking after God with other believers, I walk more consistently in the newness of life. Setting my mind on the things above, found right here where Christ is. So today, there's a wonderful opportunity to repent There's a great opportunity to pray with one another for yourself with the prayer team that is up here. And then after repenting and praying, we ought to be rejoicing. And the way that we rejoice is the Lord's Supper. We come to the table and we partake of the bread and the juice and there we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if we're proclaiming his death until he comes, if he's coming, that means we're proclaiming his resurrection as well. And that reminds us that we have new life. Amen? Amen. Lord, these things are so wonderful. Your word is so good. Help our hearts to be in consonance with your word. Holy Spirit, help us. Reveal to us areas in our lives where you're lovingly drawing us into repentance. Teach us to pray today. Help us, Lord. I I pray for us right now as a church that we would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. And having done that and received grace once again and having journeyed back to the cross and moving forward in new life, help us to rejoice in what you've done for us continually. We thank you for these wonderful things in your presence now. Move in us as we worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.